You're listening to the Prof. Joe COVID-19 Aged Care Podcast. If you're an aged care professional, you can connect with us at the Prof. Joe COVID-19 Aged Care Facebook group. Otherwise, you can connect with us at our regular page at Prof. Joe Online. You can also visit our website at profjoe.com.au for a collection of all our links. Also, feel free to email us at info at profjoe.com.au. Welcome. Hello, welcome everyone to the Prof Joe COVID-19 podcast. Today I have with me Pratik Bando and Marie Crossland. We'll reflect on the information that we've been provided from two of our guests and discuss a way forward, providing you with practical examples and strategies to improve infection control in your facility. What we wanted to do is get a bit of a detailed explanation of some of the infection control measures that are going to be put in place. And we did that with Nolene. And then we actually changed tact and went across to Greg Van Borsum, who's a perpetual leader. And we tried to get some pointers on how we can turn it into a a culture inside the workplace to really get an impact on our infection control measures quickly to convert an aged care facility into what you would expect from an intensive care unit in terms of the level of vigilance around infection control. So after listening again to Nolene's talk and also to Greg's talk, we came up with eight practical things that facilities could do to help nourish the culture around the vigilance, teamwork and spirit of strong infection control inside of aged care facilities. And we're going to start with those now. So the first one is everyone has the same shared understanding of the problem. Any thoughts on that, Prof and Marie? Having a shared understanding is essential. What we know from research and practice and day-to-day life is the same words have different meanings to people. And we've seen that the community varies in how much they think COVID is a threat. We need to have a clear understanding within our own team, within our facility, whether all staff recognise COVID as being a serious risk that needs attention. And so we need to have an open discussion to find out what people understand, what they're worried about. Some of them will have a catastrophic sense and others will be blasé. And we need to bring the group to have a shared understanding. I agree with that. I think that the shared understanding is the key to everyone working together as a team. And I think once we get that teamwork really happening within aged care across Australia, that will be at the forefront of feeding this bug. So Marie, to get that shared experience, do you think some sort of communal meeting or how would you approach that in your facility, for example? I would approach that using the handover times that we already have within the hospital and aged care system between shifts, but I would expand that towards a second meeting at the end of a shift to collect all the information and the feedback so that we can do things better the next day and the next day and the next day and just keep repeating it and repeating it until everything we're doing becomes the new normal. Well, you've led us to the second point. The second point that Greg had, and he was was big on this point, which is leadership comes from the very top. 
if somebody sees the CEO of an aged care facility or members of the board treating something importantly, they understand that that's an important thing that they need to consider as well. So one of the things Greg was suggesting was to ask the CEO, ask the board members, ask the doctors to make a display of showing how important it is to wash hands and that no one is exempt, even Prof. Joe, when he attends the ward. So is that something we could get you to do, Marie? Could you do an exhibition hand wash in front of your staff? Definitely. Uh, definitely. I think that to get all the staff on board, everybody in the whole facility needs to be on board and no one is any more important than anyone else. Uh, whether leadership comes from the top down or from the bottom up or from informal leaders, it, it really doesn't matter. Everyone's got to do the same thing. The other point you made is that if senior people do not practice what we're preaching, then everyone else has a license to uh, break the rules or not adhere to the right way. This isn't about telling people what to do. This is about demonstrating that you're doing what needs to be done and people will follow that. COVID-19 is so serious and impacts on all of us that it's really time to overcome those embarrassments or that ego that we have and to go back and revise the basics, practice it and demonstrate it and convince everyone that this is essential. So I'm now going to move on to the third measure that we came up with, and that is choose leaders and choose those leaders from within the ranks. Now, what does that mean? If you heard Greg talking, you would have heard him talking about there's a big difference between choosing a leader and choosing a manager for a problem. A manager is someone who's going to send an email out to the team, who's going to direct people to online learning, and then is going to tick a bunch of checkboxes saying infection control is complete. But when you want something done really well, you want a manager who's also a leader. This is someone who lives and breathes making the facility better. And if we can choose that person and we can ask them to lead, then we have the best chance of the cause and the vision being promoted inside the facility. What are your thoughts on that, uh, Marie, in terms of pushing the vision through the facility? I think that every facility has what I would term as informal leaders. So I would think that at our particular facility, that all of our managers are actually leaders and that's part of why they're selected as the managers of their specific areas. But there's a lot of informal leaders. There's the people that, that are passionate about various things throughout the facility. And I think they're the people, they're the, the staff that others listen to, that follow, they make things fun. And I think if we can engage those people to keep spreading the word amongst all the shifts, the night shifts, the weekend shifts, and all the other shifts and keep it going, then it becomes part of the culture and the way forward. Yeah, one of the things Greg said is if you don't know who those people are, you can either look for a bit of initiative, you can put out a call out and see who responds, or you can ask your staff who are the people that they listen to the most. I mean, in your case, it sounds like it's easy because you know who they are. If you were sitting out there now wondering who are those people, what, what would you do? I mean, would you use those kind of methods to find that person? Uh, yeah, I, th I think you certainly could use those sort of methods, but I think that the main people that would identify who those people are are the other staff. The other staff would tell you who the informal leaders are, who are the most 
influential people on a particular shift. A final point he made about choosing the leader, he talked about empowering the leader to shift the culture. And what he meant there was, if you show everyone that you consider that leader's role to be very important, then people also know that following what that leader says is important. Is that something you would actively do, Marie, in your facility? You would seek out to do that? Yes, it probably is something I would actively do. I would look to see who were the leaders across the shifts and try and identify a group so it covered all shifts across all days and really empower those leaders. Maybe, I'm not exactly sure how, but but maybe by advertising who they are and, and that they believe in the cause that they're doing along those lines. I've seen many capable personal care workers that are overlooked because people judge them purely by their certificate rather than look at their personal qualities and their ability to rally people around them, motivate them. They're the people that back you up when you're in trouble. They're the ones that help you out. They're the ones that go to work because they're interested in their co-workers and interested in the residents. They're the people that you admire because they're doing something without asking for a reward. I think that's the sort of person that we're looking for. So moving on to point four now, everyone should be responsible for making sure that everyone else is able to do their job. Is that something that we need to talk specifically about with people? How do we get people to take on the individual responsibilities inside a team, to feel like everyone is part of that team? and that everyone has to be relied on to to speak up when they notice something or take the initiative when they notice something? I think that's part of that feedback that you're gaining at the start and end of every shift. And the more feedback you can gain, no matter how tiny it may seem, all those sort of things they're picked up in those sessions will help everybody. In this situation, there's nothing more frustrating than being told you're a leader you have everything that you need to go do this important job and it turns out you don't have the basic essentials. Having that is critical. Having people support you to find the necessary tools or equipment if it's short is important. And here is it's important to have integrity and honesty in letting people know what is and what isn't available and when it will become available. Being aware of your team And having that shared vision that we're all here for the same reason, we're here to look after each other, we're here to look after the residents, and we're here to look after the community. And if we always frame our thinking and what we need to do according to that, then there won't be any lapses. We will do the small things that we usually ignore under circumstances that we don't like. Now's the time for us to step up and share our responsibility and make sure our team is functioning as at its very best. The next point he had was teach, reteach, repeat, and be proud of it. And in particular, what he's saying here is washing your hands, it's not just something you learn for accreditation purposes. It's a motor skill. It's something you learn by repetition to do properly. And the best way to learn anything like that is to do it multiple times a day at every opportunity and to do it together with other people. That kind of coming together in a kind of ritualistic fashion around something which is a communal vision about the greater good. Any thoughts about that? When we're talking about hand washing, 
it's a skill in the same way that we try to learn piano, ride a bike, kick a football. A skill, you only become good at a skill by repetition, by putting in the hours so that you know how to do it well and meticulously. Is the ritual realistic to do that at the beginning of each shift? Everyone comes together and does that? Uh, In our facility it is, but we're probably lucky that that the system that we use for people to clock on and off is right next to a hand-washing station, so certainly for us it is. I think it's something that needs to be done and we need to look for ways to achieve that at the start and the end of each shift. Every place has a sink, every place has soap. It should be possible and what we want to do is to look at innovative ways and you know, perhaps we should all imagine that we're Pavarotti giving a performance and as we're singing, we're, we're actually hand-washing to a level that's unheard of before that we're recording this for posterity and we're trying to demonstrate to the whole world the perfect technique. And if we take that attitude rather than the it'll be right, then I think there'll be significant changes in infection rates. Okay, so we're all coming together at the beginning of a shift and singing Pavarotti while washing our hands, and then at the end we're washing our hands again. Uh, There's another ritual we thought would be a good one, and I think this is a good one to push across all aged care facilities. The Japanese have a great ritual whenever a new customer enters the restaurant. All the staff, and I'm sure you've all heard this before, they shout out something that sounds like Hiroshimase, which means welcome to the store. And there's this real sense that everyone is connected and everyone knows you're there and that you're entering a place with a shared vision. Is that something, Marie, that could be instigated at your facility? Oh, I think we could instigate something like that. I think it would actually uh, make it into a bit of fun without it being punitive. If it's done in, in a nice way, it becomes a reminder for people as well. And then it becomes, I think, a bit of a competition to make sure that you, you're reminding everyone else to do it as well. So I definitely think it could be done. So we're moving on now to point six, and that is to have a system to evaluate infection control. Everyone hates being policed, but it's also important to help each other improve. If you see someone not doing it correctly, we need to find a gentle way of handling that. Do it for the team. Also make it clear to everyone you expect people to be pulled up because it's for the good of the whole facility. How do we do that, Marie? How do we handle the sensitivities around telling other people that they're not doing it properly? I think it's a manner in which it's done. So I don't think that you would call anyone out for maybe not washing their hands 100% correctly in front of the rest of the team. It would be a discussion you would have privately with that person and reteach them because it's about protecting themselves. So getting that vision through to that person, but definitely not in a punitive manner. If someone continued to behave in the wrong way and not be a part of that team, I think that's probably a different discussion though. Prateek, the the best advice I've heard is to ask after the health and wellbeing of the person. If you're able to talk to them at personal level and see what it is that they're thinking about, it gives you a greater sense of why the hand washing might not be at the standard it usually is. The other point around approaching someone who has had a lapse in hand washing is to be very mindful of your body language, that how you present yourself to another person will determine their reaction to it 
And so you always need to be calm and approaching it in a friendly manner. Yeah, I think also feeding back to the group, the sessions that Marie was talking about, the beginning and end of each shift. If there's an ability there to feed back what everyone thought and ask, did anyone have trouble with the measures or ask, did anyone notice anyone else having trouble with the measures? Those kind of things may get a way that it can be discussed in a less punitive way, more in an open discussion kind of way. I think the important question to ask here is how can we help to do things better? How can we help to prevent the infection? How can we help to look after each other? I think those types of phrasings that are positive help people to look for a solution rather than trying to ask what went wrong and then getting a list of things that go wrong rather than how can we do it better. Moving on to the next point, we're going to talk about this idea of having a checkpoint. If you're a military facility and there is a hostile outside, a surefire way to compromise the whole base is to let that hostile in. That's why you have a checkpoint. The same applies with coronavirus. If possible, we need to coordinate entries and exits at a checkpoint with a dedicated station. There could be a fixed entry and exit process at all times. At this station, there's someone who's checking the temperature of everyone that enters and asking the COVID-19 questions, the ones everyone has already heard about. Do you have a fever? Have you recently been in contact with a known or suspected COVID-19 case, et cetera, et cetera. By formalizing entry and exit and having a checkpoint, every single person is screened and you also reinforce to your staff just how important it is not to let the virus in. Is that feasible? Oh, I think it's definitely definitely feasible. I think most facilities from what I've already heard from other people have already done that have already cordoned people into using one entry so that people come through one point and and can be checked at that point. So I don't view that as an issue. And you supervise the hand washing at that point as well? That's actually probably the next stage after that because we actually come through a reception area first and then go up to where the hand washing area is. So finally... And this is probably the concluding wrap-up to the previous points, and that is to work as a team, to support your staff and to be proud of your work. You're all out there on the front line. You're all caring for the most vulnerable people who helped build this nation. You're doing a tremendous service and we applaud you. Be proud of that. Support one another. Have a clear policy about staying home if you do not meet the criteria for entry. Develop trust between your management and your staff when it comes to handling their safety. Show everyone that you're all in this together and be proud of your efforts together. That's an important part of everyone working together in the same direction to help our residents avoid COVID-19. Any points about that? I'm sure we all agree with those sentiments. The question is, how do we demonstrate that? How do we live it? We talk about teamwork. Are we showing that? Are we asking after each other? Are we doing the small things to help each other out? Be interesting to hear from you, Marie, about what what are the small things that the people share that show that you care, that show you're together? I think the, the policy about the staying home if you don't meet the criteria for entry has probably been the hardest point for staff to grip onto because the staff actually are so caring and don't want to let their teammates down that that even if they feel they've got a little sniffle that they think they're okay to 
to come to work and then obviously to stay home at the moment. So I feel they're letting other people down. I think those small points of letting people know that they're not letting anyone down by staying home, that they're actually protecting everyone. So doing a flip around of that culture of you don't come to work at all when you're sick, that's not the right thing to do, is the most important. Yeah, and do you check all your staff as they come in, as we are talking about that checkpoint in the previous one? Do you apply that to staff? We do. So over the last few weeks, there's been several staff that have, have turned up and, and then they filled out their little form and, and ticked it. I've just got a bit of a cold, and but I'm okay. And so we go, no, you're actually not doing this shift and you're going home and you're going to get tested. And and I think the message is, is finally getting through and staff are now... They're starting to ring in, go off. I've got a bit of a cold and haven't really got a temperature, but got a bit of a cold. And and so we're veering them off to be tested before they come in. And, and they're realising that that's actually what they have to do, that coming in with a bit of a cold is, is not okay and that's not helping the team. We're actually showing that we're really proud of them for ringing, letting us know first and a lot of emails between everyone to support them, how they're going, they had their test, if they got the results, you know, we're looking forward to them being back at work. And I'm hoping that that shows up in our general infection rates that we can show people that hopefully we won't get COVID, but that we can show people that that will actually reduce the residents getting a normal respiratory infection. Pratika Marie, I want to reinforce just how proud I am of the staff in aged care. In my entire career, the people that I've enjoyed working with most and those that I'm most proud of are in aged care. They look after older people. They don't ask for much in return. They are always up for a challenge. They find ways to do the impossible. I'm confident that we together will be able to manage the COVID-19 pandemic in ways that we haven't even thought about yet because we do work well in teams and we do understand each other and we take pride in the work that we do and we see it as being valuable for our parents and grandparents and we're looking after a vulnerable population that people often forget about. Yeah, I guess the tendency at the moment is to think so negatively about the impact COVID could have on the sector. But at the same time, we should all be immensely proud of the work we're doing to take the fight to COVID and and to show the world that we can be one of the best to handle this really well. Uh, Well, thank you very much, uh, Prof and Marie, for coming to this podcast. And uh, we'll see everyone else next time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.